really like a constant struggle not to turn churning or this podcast into a full-time job because I'm wired to go all in on things. So it can be very easy to get sucked in because there's always things to be churned. So you can easily spend 40 hours a week doing that. And I have to constantly resist it. Welcome to episode 39 of The Daily Churn. Today is going to be a bit of a special episode. So the first part is going to be a recap of all the things that I churned in December. And December was quite a busy month despite the holidays. There were just a lot of credit card churns, bank bonuses, some brokerages, a couple crazy updates on the cell phones front, meal kits, discounts, pretty much all the things, even some freebies actually to give away to you guys. Then the second half is something I've been pretty excited to do for at least like a couple months now, which is just a tally of all of the things that I churned throughout 2022. So the total number of accounts that were opened, the amount of money that was earned from all these bonuses, the amount of points that were earned, how many meal kits were eaten, a breakdown of the split between P1 versus P2 earnings, all of that good stuff wrapped up in the second half, plus kind of a new tradition that I started with last year's recap, which is sort of just a a review of how the podcast is doing. Because the show has only been around for, I think, 18-ish months now. I first started it in June of 2021. So it's fairly new. And I know some folks are interested in how many listeners does the show have, like how many subscribers, what's the most played episode, which is actually a a pretty surprising episode, given this is a, a training podcast. All of that will be in the second part, but to begin with, let's start with just the December recap. Starting with credit cards, the big one that posted for us was the Morgan Stanley Amex Platinum card, which is that one that I did an episode on, I think in early December, episode 38, on exactly how to open this card. And my P2 received the card and met the spend for it, which was $6,000 of spend for 125,000 Amex points. Plus, she got about 8,000 Amex points from the spend itself. So we ended up getting 133,000 membership reward points in December from that card. And I've gotten quite a few emails and Reddit messages as well as comments on the site about this card. And there's been some pretty positive data points, actually. I'm, I'm actually quite happy to see the positive DPs showing that the methods described in the episode do work. That said, there were just as many negative data points as positive data points. And of course, that's not great. But I think the way to sort of think about Morgan Stanley, though, is that Morgan Stanley really is very much like a car dealership. You know, it's going to be a very mixed bag when you go in as to what salesmen you get. So some salesmen are going to be very good, very helpful. And some are just not going to be good. You know, they're going to be rude and they're not going to want to help you. And the thing is, you're not doing anything wrong by wanting this Morgan Stanley Platinum card, just as you're not doing anything wrong by wanting a car. But their sole job as salesmen is to kind of assess how wealthy you appear, or in this case, sound over the phone. Because Morgan Stanley is very much a a traditional brokerage in that sense, where they're all about establishing these relationships that are financially profitable for them in the long run. So if you call in and make it really clear that you're just here for the platinum card, they may be less inclined to want to do business with you than if you call in and you sound like somebody 
who is wealthy and that they want to establish a relationship with. Like the kind of um, joke I made with my wife was that there's one advisor that I'd been chatting with about opening this account. And I've sort of like ghosted him because my wife was able to open the account without his help through a different avenue that I covered in that episode 38. But I haven't really been returning his calls and he keeps calling like every week and emailing being like, hey, do you still want to open this preferred savings? We can make it happen whenever you're free. And the joke that came to my mind was like, yeah, I should just call him back and be like, you know, man, sorry, I haven't gotten around to returning a call. We just got back from Switzerland. You know, me and my friends were just skiing up there and it's been a hectic month of skiing. You know how it is, just so busy. And sadly, that's sort of the kind of attitude and relationship they're trying to foster. So that is something to keep in mind if you're calling in and you're not having that much luck is that you may want to call back and get a different advisor and this time kind of think about it from their standpoint of who is someone that they want to establish a relationship with. And I think you'll see a lot more success that way. Then there was also a bunch of Chase Inc. bonuses that posted in December. So a really big month actually for Chase, thanks to all the Black Friday spend, which helped me meet a lot of the minimum spend requirements. So we got 86,000 points from the Chase Inc. Unlimited that posted for me. So 75K plus 11K from the spend. Then 82,000 points from the Chase Inc. Cash that also posted. So 75K plus this time only 7,000 extra points from the spend. Then that Inc. Cash, I was also able to match to the 90,000 points offer by sending Chase a message. P2 also got three Chase Inc. referrals from me, actually, from referring me to various Inc. cards. And each of those referrals is worth 20,000. So she got three of those from me, so 60,000. Some of those actually credited in my account in, I think, October or November, but I, I forgot to count them because the Chase dashboard doesn't make it easy to figure out when exactly someone used your referral and what date they used it. There's no line item, weirdly, for that. But she got the 60K from referrals. Then I also got 40,000 Chase Inc. points from two referrals, which I think were from listeners of the show. So if you're one of those people, thank you very much for using the referral. Really appreciate it. So tallying all that together ended up being 283,000 points from Chase in December. Very nice. On top of that, I opened another Chase Inc. cash in December, this time for my sole prop business. And I was able to open that one directly for that 90,000 points offer for $6,000 of spend. So no need to do any matching. The application itself, though, didn't go as smoothly as it usually went. It didn't go into an instant approval. It actually went into pending. And after about a week, it was auto approved. So I never had to call in to recon. But it was only approved for a $3,000 credit limit. If I had to guess why it was only a $3,000 credit limit and why it went into pending, it's probably because I have too much business credit open with Chase through all of the various inks that I have. And so probably what happened was Chase saw that I had too much credit, so I had to go into manual review, and then the person manually reviewing it had to approve the super low $3,000 credit limit. So now I need to call in and have them move some of my credit limit from one of the other cards over to this card, which is a, a super easy process. But just to kind of avoid that in the future, what I should have done is called first to reduce the credit limit on all of the open cards down to just the bare minimum since I've already met spend for those. 
That way, hopefully I would have avoided the manual review part and hopefully it would have been instant approved. But all in all, it worked out in the end. I just had my P2 refer me again. So hopefully she'll get another 20,000 points in the future from that. And you know, if you don't have a P2, I have some of my referral links on the website at thedailytrainpodcast.com. If you use one of those, definitely let me know so I can give you a shout out during the next episode. But otherwise, yeah, pretty big month overall from Chase and Amex. So the 133,000 from the Morgan Stanley card, 265,000 from the Chase Inks for a total of 416,000 points in December. So pretty good. Half a million points in the month of December. Moving right on to banks. Let's start with maybe Bank of America because that one didn't actually work out well for me, which was that my P2 had gotten a targeted email saying, hey, open a new Bank of America checking account, deposit $4,000 and we'll give you a $300 bonus. So a pretty good offer. But during the application, she was denied due to her checks report. And I kind of feel like maybe I jinxed this one a little bit because before she applied to that, like a week or two before that, I had just done a phone consult with one of the listeners from the show who wanted some advice about what cars to open and what kind of velocity to open them and that he was having some checks issues and getting denied. And I was like, yeah, we never get checks problems. You know, pretty much everything we apply for has been approved at the banks. And of course, right after I tell him that a week or two later, my wife gets a checks denial. But I think the trend is that with these bigger banks, not only will they run checks reports, but they're also a lot more sensitive to how many checks inquiries you've had in the past. Whereas a lot of these bank bonuses that we do are like the startup app banks who don't even pull your checks report to begin with. Next up, there was DCU, which I think stands for Digital Federal Credit Union. They seem to have left out an F in the acronym. But DCU was offering a $100 bonus if you join using someone else's referral link and the person referring gets $50. But on top of that, they allow you to fund with a credit card up to $250. So not a huge amount, but it is still free credit card funding. And I, I love free credit card funding that you don't have to get out of your seat for. And so both my wife and I opened that account. And the only requirements were to make five transactions. And so I'd been waiting for the debit card to arrive to make those transactions. But for whatever reason, like three weeks later, the debit cards still haven't arrived. But then I realized that the five transactions can also be just ACH transactions and DCU uses played. So you can just link, let's say your Chase or your Ally account. And then just from the DCU side, initiate five $1 transactions over to your Chase account, and those qualify. So super easy. And most surprisingly of all, the bonus posts within two days of making those five transactions. And I've got to say that's probably one of the fastest bonus postings that I've ever seen for a bank, especially a credit union. Like we're still waiting on our Live Oak bonuses from I think like three months ago. So two days is a really good turnaround. So Ended up getting $100 for me, $100 for my P2 for the sign-up bonus. I also got $50 for referring my P2. Then I also got four referrals. I think it was a combination of posting my referral link on DOC in the referral thread. And then I think some of you guys check the tracker maybe and use the referral link from the tracker. So if that was you, really appreciate you for doing that because we ended up getting $250 total in referrals on top of the $200. So a total of $450 from DCU in December. Then I also got $20 from Laurel Road, which is their monthly bonus that they pay out if you deposit $2,500. 
And it was fairly trivial just to automate a a yo-yo of $2,500 in and out from Ally each month. Finally, there was Upgrade Bank, where I got my final three referrals from 2022 for $300 because each referral was $100. And I think they've actually reduced referrals now down to $50 from $100. So if you use the app and you generate a new link, it's going to show $50. But if you have one of the existing referral links, it still shows $100. So I'm sure at this point, everyone under the sun who reads DOC or listens to this podcast or goes on Reddit has opened an upgrade checking account because it was just an easy $100. But if you haven't yet, I still have my $100 referral link and it is still showing $100 when I click through. So if that's you and you want to open it, I'll post my link on the referral page on the website. So feel free to give it a try. All right, so tallying everything up from the bank side of things, we had the $450 from DCU, $20 from Laurel Road, and $300 from Upgrade for a total of $770 from banks in December. Next up, we have brokerages. There was a $2,000 bonus from Public for my P2. And Public was the one that I had gotten the $2,000 bonus back in November. And now P2 has gotten it in December. So really, really big bonus. They'd reduced it down to a $1,000 bonus for depositing 100K. And I think most recently now it's down to $600 for depositing 100K. So if you're one of those lucky folks who got in at the $2,000 tier, congrats on the fatty bonus. I think that's probably one of the best brokerage bonuses that I've ever seen for that amount of a deposit. And I even did a dedicated episode on public a couple months ago. So hopefully a lot of you guys were able to jump in on that. One thing I did see in the comments on DOC though, is there was a couple folks concerned about like, is public going to go out of business? Like, how are they even making money? And, you know, obviously I don't have any insight in that, but the good thing with public is that they are SPIC insured. So SPIC is like the brokerage equivalent of FDIC insurance. And with SPIC insurance, your stocks are covered if the company goes out of business. So one thing you should definitely do with your $2,000 bonus, because you do have to leave that bonus there for six months, is to actually buy some stocks. Because if it's just in cash, I'm not 100% sure what happens if public goes out of business. Do you forfeit your bonus cash? But I do know if you buy stocks with that cash, now you're protected for sure under SPIC. So what I usually buy is just SGOV or BIL. Both are just short-term treasury funds that just don't really move. Like they go up by maybe 0.1% each month. So you might make a tiny bit in interest, but the main purpose of it is so that you're holding stocks. So that's what we put the $2,000 bonus towards. Moving right on to cell phones. Some crazy news happened in December with cell phones, which was that Costco, which has those wireless phone booths. So if you ever be into a Costco, they'll have these stands that like sell cell service. And apparently those stands were actually owned by a different company that contracted with Costco. And that company was called Wireless Advocates. And that company just shut down completely in December without any warning. Like they laid off all of their employees, I think 1,800 employees. And on top of that, all of the rebates that people had coming in through T-Mobile via Costco are now sort of in limbo. Because the way Costco phone sales worked was that Costco would offer you their Costco shop cards, which are essentially like a gift card for buying a phone. So they'd often have deals like buy one iPhone, get a second iPhone free. And the way they give the second iPhone free is that they give you a $720 shop card. And all of those rebates were processed through wireless advocates. 
which suddenly shut down and I think filed for bankruptcy. So what happens to all of those rebates that are pending? No one really knows. And I definitely feel like I dodged a bullet there because I did an episode on churning iPhones. I think that was episode 17. And a big part of that strategy was doing these bonus offers from Costco. And this year during Black Friday, I was very close to doing another round of iPhone resells via Costco T-Mobile. And if I'd done that, I would have had who knows how many rebates in this pending limbo status when they shut down. Finally, on the cell phone front, if you recall from the November recap, both my wife and I have switched over from Visible to Mint because Mint was doing and I think is still doing a really good deal on cell service. And so I ended up getting $15 for joining Mint using someone else's referral. Then P2 also got $15 from using my referral. And I actually ended up getting $100 for referring P2 over to Mint, which usually it's only like $45, but it ended up being $100 because Mint right now is doing a promo where if you refer someone who's currently on Verizon or AT&T, you'll get $100 as an increased bonus. But the weird thing is my P2 wasn't on Verizon or AT&T. She was on Visible. But I think they must be treating Visible as Verizon because Verizon owns Visible. So I'm not sure if that's what they intended, but I ended up getting $100. So if you have a P2 that's currently on Visible, this could be a great time for you to actually join Mint and then refer them over to Mint as well before January 15th to get that $100 increased bonus. Additionally, I think one of the listeners from the November recap also joined Mint using my referral and I got the regular $45 from them joining. So thanks for that because we ended up getting $175 total from Mint in December just from these back and forth referrals. And I believe that Mint offer is still ongoing until January 15th, where if you buy three months of service, you get three months of service for free. So essentially, you pay $45 for six months of Mint service at four gigabytes per month. So we try and switch our cell service every six months to 12 months. And there's an episode on churning SIM cards, I think episode 13, if you're curious or interested in how we go about doing that. But yeah, the deal is pretty good. If you want to join Mint, be sure to do it before January 15th before that offer goes away. All right, next up we have meal kits. So we ended up getting a ton of meal kits coming in in December because there were just so many good Black Friday join and reactivation offers happening with various meal kit companies. So I think we had four or five different meal kit services scheduled to come in through December, which honestly probably wasn't the best idea because with just weather delays, it turned into a bit of a scheduling shit show where one box would be canceled or delayed. So we'd have to reschedule it. But then the following week, we already had another meal kit coming in. So you didn't want two boxes coming at the same time. So turned into a bit of a headache. And so I probably wouldn't recommend coordinating like four different meal kit services at a time. But that said, all of December, all of the food we were eating for dinner were from super discounted meal kits. So that worked out pretty well. And yeah, now I have a bunch more meal kit codes that came in the box. I've got three HelloFresh codes and three Green Chef codes. So if anyone wants a free HelloFresh box or a free Green Chef box, just leave a comment and I'll email you the code. And if I run out of codes, I think some listeners on the show have some codes as well that they could maybe share. But just check the comments if you want them. And the way the codes work is that essentially you need a new account. And by using the code, you'll get the first box free. So I think Green Chef, it's a box up to $99. And with HelloFresh, 
I want to say it's a box up to $65 because Green Chef just costs more, but that's usually good for like three or four meals fully covered. And that offer tends to be better than the referral codes that you can generate yourself online or the offers you see online where it's like, join HelloFresh and get $200 off. Well, the $200 is split between the next five boxes. So the first box, you're usually only getting like 50% off of your first box. So the benefit with these codes is that now you actually get the full first box for free. And because as churners, we don't usually keep it past the first box. Having the discount be spread out across five boxes is not very useful. But having all of that discount front loaded into just the first box is great because you can get that first box for free, cancel, and then within probably a few weeks to a few months, you'll get a reactivation offer from these meal kit companies asking you to rejoin. And usually the reactivation offers are better than the sign-up offers. So yeah, if you want a code, just leave a comment and I'll, I'll coordinate getting the codes out to people who want them. Moving right on to freebies and discounts, because sort of on the topic of giving things away, my free Peloton water bottles came. And this was the deal where sometime before Black Friday, Peloton was doing a thing where you just give them your email address and they'll send you a code to get the Peloton water bottle for free. And that water bottle usually goes for $17, plus I think they charge $13 for shipping. Instead, now you only pay $1 and the shipping is free. And it was a little bit of a mess because I don't think they were expecting that many people to sign up for the free water bottle because the codes took weeks to get sent out. But they have eventually been sent out and my bottle actually came. And it's actually a pretty nice bottle. It's like a glass water bottle. And so I'm glad I got it. And P2 also just got hers as well. And actually, when they had signups open, I just used all of my burner emails to sign up. And so now I've got like five extra water bottle codes which I don't need another five Peloton water bottles. Two is enough for us, but I've got five extra codes. If anyone wants a free, I mean, I guess $1 Peloton water bottle, that's pretty nice. Same as the uh, meal kit codes, just leave a comment and let me know. We'll just do a first come first serve thing and maybe we'll do it where you can just only ask for one code. That way everyone can get something. But for the purposes of the December tally, I won't count the discount that I got on the water bottle just because... I wouldn't otherwise get this if it wasn't for the fact that it was basically free. Next up with freebies and discounts, I wanted to just kind of share a Target PSA because the Target red card $40 offers are back now. So that just happened, I think, in January. So we didn't get those in December, but it does expire on January 14th. So I wanted to give you guys a heads up about it now so that you can get in on it before it expires. And these target red card offers are great because you can do them every 90 days. And the benefit of doing them is that when you sign up, they send you a $40 coupon that you can use in store and also online. So it ends up being worth $80 of free target money. The best part, though, is that the target red card has three different flavors. Now there is the credit card, the debit card, and the reloadable card, which is a new thing they introduced a few months back. So you should definitely not apply for the credit card because that will affect your credit report and will count as a 524 slot. All terrible things. But you should apply for the debit card because that won't go on your credit report. And now you should also apply for the reloadable card because if you get approved for both the debit card and the reloadable card, which are two separate products, two separate applications, you'll end up getting two of those $40 coupons which means essentially $80 times two, so $160 that you can do every time one of these Target red card promos comes around, assuming it's been 90 days since you last opened your other one. 
So luckily for me, I last opened the Target Red card debit card on October 5th. And so three months later, around January 3rd, like a few days ago, I canceled that card because you do need to close that card first. And then a couple of days later, applied for and was approved for the red card debit card. I also tried applying for the reloadable card, but unfortunately, I was instantly denied, likely because I had a serve card before that was shut down and it's run by the same company on the back end. So they probably know if you've been shut down for serve or Bluebird before. And so I was denied for the target reloadable. If you have no idea what serve or Bluebird or those things are, then you're probably good to apply, as was the case with my P2, because she was approved for the reloadable card because she never had a, a serve shutdown before. So it ended up being just me getting a new debit card and then her getting that reloadable card. Just a quick reminder too, though, that if you're applying for both P1 and P2 for the debit card, be sure to use a different computer, ideally a different IP address, and even more ideally, wait a day between P1's application and P2's application because Target has some weird checks that may cause your P2's application to go into pending and never get approved if you both do it on the same day using the same computer with the same IP address. Moving back to churns that actually happened in December, there was the annual TurboTax sale that happens every year on Amazon and also on Costco, which it usually ends up happening a day or two after Christmas. And it's usually the best sale of the year. So instead of it costing like $130 for TurboTax business, they discounted it to, I think, $75. Plus you get a $10 Amazon gift card. Costco is also doing a similar deal, but the $10 gift card was TurboTax credit instead of an Amazon gift card. So not really that useful. So the real play was buying it on Amazon. And I know a lot of folks, including myself, have a reminder each year after Christmas to go buy TurboTax on Amazon because it is the best deal of the year. And some people use like Camel, Camel, Camel to do the automated notifications for when it goes on sale. But yeah, all in all, you know, I, I love using TurboTax. Like say what you want about their parent company. I get it, you know, but from a tax accounting software perspective, I think TurboTax really is the best product out there if you're doing it yourself. Like it's really good for the more complex scenarios like businesses, and single member LLCs and sole props and pass-through entities and all that stuff. So yeah, I've been using TurboTax for years and we saved $65 by buying it during their annual sale because we would have and have in the past paid full price for TurboTax business. Next up on the freebies and discounts, we also bought another Sugarfina advent calendar to send as a gift because the thing with advent calendars is they start on December 1st. So usually right on December 1st, these advent calendars go into super sale mode because it's like, you know, buying Halloween candy after Halloween, right? So we had previously bought this thing for $60 as gifts. Then during Black Friday, it dropped to $42 and we bought more as gifts. On December 1st, all the sites like Saks Fifth Avenue, Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale's all dropped it down to $22 because this Sugarfina advent calendar is like a premium advent calendar. That's why it's being sold at these retailers. And it's really nice. You know, if you're used to buying like those $2 advent calendars from Trader Joe's, doing a premium advent calendar really kind of builds up the hype for Christmas. But the trick here really is maybe gift it to your friends and relatives like a couple of days late because now you're getting them at 60, 70% off. And honestly, no one really cares about getting an advent calendar 
five days late because now you can eat five days worth of candy in one day. So it's sort of a win-win for everyone. But yeah, in December, we got another one of those and saved another $20. Chase also had a $5 off of $5 of spend at any grocery store. And that was on most of their credit cards. So many people had it on multiple Chase cards. In our case, we had it on five of our Chase cards. And so we were able to use that offer five times, which literally just saved $25 at the grocery store. Chase was also doing $10 off of three DoorDash offers if you had a Chase Sapphire card, which is a pretty good discount if you can keep your order like around $20 or under because it essentially covers the delivery fee, taxes, tip, and saves you a bit of money on the food itself. But yeah, we were able to use that three times in December for another $30 of savings. There was also Apple Music for four months for free for both returning and new subscribers. If you just bought the free item on bestbuy.com, I think that one's still around. So I'll have links to everything we discuss here on the dailytrendpodcast.com in the show notes. But yeah, you can just go on Best Buy, add the free item to your cart, and you get four months of Apple Music for free. And if you already have Apple Music, just cancel Apple Music and then sign up using the free discount code. I won't count it though, because I really just wouldn't get Apple Music if it wasn't for the fact that it was free. On the topic of free music, Sirius XM is also doing a free three-month trial that can be churned. And I think this has been around forever, but I only just found out about it recently because we got a new car back in August. There's a couple episodes on our experience at the car dealership, which is pretty crazy. But that car came with Sirius XM that just expired. So I was trying to find a way to get Sirius XM for free. And yeah, this is the, the surefire way of doing it. We now have Sirius XM for another three months. Again, like Apple Music, I probably won't count it though, just because we would never actually pay for Sirius XM. But it is nice to have when it's free. Let's see, we've got more discounts. So studentbeans.com. So student and then beans like the vegetable is a site that gives you discounts to various retailers if you have a .edu email address. So I'd never heard of this website before, but just browsing it, there's actually a lot of retailers where they're offering pretty decent discounts. Like there's H&M on there, some random things, I think GoPro. We ended up using it because Govi, which is a company that makes like mood lighting, kind of like Philips Hue, but cheaper. I was trying to find discounts for Govi and Student Beans came up because they give you a 12% discount on Govi. And the way it works is once you verify you're a student, Student Bean literally just gives you a discount code that you can use on govi.com. So you're now able to stack that with cashback portals and all these other kinds of things. So with these Govi lights, I was literally in the checkout process about to pay $180 when I found this. So we ended up saving 12% which was $20 of free money that I would have paid otherwise. For those of you reading the Doctor of Credit blog, you probably also saw that Dell was also offering a $25 free credit if you link an Alienware account. And so all you have to do is sign up for Alienware, which is actually owned by Dell, and then link that over to Dell and you get $25 free, which I got. And it's kind of a nice supplement to your annual Dell credits if you have an Amex Business Platinum card. Or if you don't, you know, $25, there's a lot of cheap, useful things you can buy. And in our case, I just got a nice flash drive that I was going to buy anyway for free because it was like $26. Some people were trying to buy Xbox gift cards with that $25 because 
That is one of the main ways people use their Dell credits with the Amex Business Platinum is buying these Xbox gift cards. But a lot of those orders were getting canceled. And that's always been the case with buying Xbox gift cards on Dell is there's a good chance your order gets canceled because Dell has sort of um, flagged these kinds of orders. But if you actually bought something real like a flash drive, those for the most part went through. So yeah, got $25 free from Dell. Starbucks via PayPal was also offering one of their little bonuses again, where if you reload $10 into your Starbucks account via PayPal, then PayPal gives you an extra $5. So ends up being like 50% off of a $10 reload. And it worked for me, but weirdly, it didn't credit for P2. I'm just too lazy to contact PayPal over $5 because their customer service is always super slow. So yeah, just $5 for me from Starbucks in December. So tallying up all of the freebies and discounts in December, there was that $65 from TurboTax, $20 from Sugarfina, $25 in free Chase groceries, $30 off of DoorDash, $20 from that Student Bean Govi discount, $25 of free Dell Alienware credits, $5 from PayPal Starbucks for a total of $190 from freebies and discounts. Then tallying everything together for December, we've got 133,000 Amex points from that Morgan Stanley Platinum, 283,000 Chase points from those Chase Inks for a total of 416,000 points from credit cards, then $770 from banks from DCU, Laurel Road and Upgrade, $2,000 from brokerages thanks to public, $175 from Mint, and $190 from various discounts and freebies for a total of $3,135 plus 416,000 points. Really great month. I mean, just way over my $1,000 a month target that I go for with these churns. And I think this might be the biggest month so far that I've had from a points earning perspective. I don't think I've had a month yet where I've earned almost half a million points in one month. And I guess if you convert those points into dollars, this is probably my biggest month ever because at minimum, I try and get 1.5 cents per point. So 400,000 points is worth at least $6,000. So if you add that to the $3,000 of cash, it's like over $9,000 from churning in December. So really great way to end the year. And I'm happy the holidays didn't slow things down too much. All right, now for the part I've been really excited to do, which is the 2022 end of year summary for churns. And I had a lot of fun actually compiling these numbers because I, I sort of surprised myself a little bit with how much was churned in 2022, because it's the first year that I've tracked everything to this level of detail, because 2021, I started the podcast in June. And so I try to compile what happened in the first six months, but this time around for 2022, Every month has been meticulously tracked thanks to the podcast. So tallying everything up was quite insightful. And yeah, it was a pretty amazing year. There were 215 separate churns across banks, brokerages and crypto, cell phones, credit cards, deals, discounts and freebies, mail kits and shopping portals. So all of those were a line item in my spreadsheet, which if you want the more detailed version with tables, and graphs. I'm going to have all of that in the show notes on the website. But kind of a, a summary from those 215 churns, I got $32,454. So over $32,000 from those plus 300,000 Amex points 
541,000 Chase points and 140,000 Southwest points for a total of 981,000 points. So almost hit the million points mark, but just a little bit off. And of that $32,000, $15,000, so basically 50% of it came from banks. 20% of it came from brokerages. 20% of it came from credit cards. And the rest were shopping portals, discounts and freebies and cell phones. Yeah, pretty crazy to view it like that. Because, you know, when I'm doing these month by month, I, I kind of don't realize how much is being accumulated until the end of the year when we tally everything up. But yeah, some of the highlights, let's see, banks, I think the big winners were Huntington and Chase. So Huntington had those like $1,000 bonuses for opening a business account. Chase also had the $750 bonuses for opening a business account. Brokerages, I mean, the highlight obviously was public because both myself and P2 got $2,000 a piece just for transferring stocks over to public. Credit cards, Chase Inks are just killing it this year. I mean, now that they've made it 90,000 points for $6,000 of spend, things have really escalated with Chase Inks. I, I think it's probably the best credit card to open currently from a points perspective. Then with cell phones, just getting a ton of cheap cell service through Visible and Mint versus Back when we used to pay like $200 a month for our premium Verizon service, now we're down to like $10 a month between the two of us. Shopping portals really went hard on those this year. I mean, pretty much the mantra here is just Rakuten everything, you know, have browser extensions and everything should be getting cash back. I mean, $2,000 of that $32,000 was from just shopping portals. And so, yeah, it costs you nothing to have these extensions on your browser. Then, yeah, deals, discounts, and freebies. This is the first year where I've started tracking them. I think I only actually started tracking them in September, but a couple pretty big highlights there were just getting that Amazon 55-inch Omni TV for $100 during Prime Day. That was huge because we love that TV and we're still using it now. And churning these Target red cards. I know a lot of you guys have been in on this for years, but finally realizing that there's a debit card version and now a reloadable card version that doesn't affect your credit score essentially means you're getting like $80 free every three months or so, or $160 if you have a P2 as well. And of course, there's all the meal kit subscriptions, which actually aren't even included in that $32,000 because it's sort of hard to quantify how much you're actually making or saving with a meal kit. So I've actually just been tracking these in a separate spreadsheet since I think March, where it kind of just tells me, you know, which ones we've signed up for, when to cancel these, how much it cost. And of the 215 churns, 35 of those were signups and reactivations through meal kits between myself and P2 because, you know, there's so many meal kit companies you can churn. We did Daily Harvest, Gobble, Factor 75, Green Chef, HelloFresh, Blue Apron, Sunbasket, Freshly, Home Chef. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but most of those have great signup offers. And then when you cancel, they send you reactivation offers. So, really good year for meal kits because with each of these boxes that we get from meal kits, it's as low as like two dinners for two in a box, but as many as like 18 dinners in a box. Like if you do factor 75, they'll send you 18 dinners. But honestly, I was a bit too lazy to count all of these individually to figure out exactly how many meals we got delivered, but kind of a conservative estimate I would say is that each line, each one of those 35 line item churns was probably five meals for two. 
So 35 times five is 175 dinners for two people. So basically half the year, at least we were eating milk kits that we got for super cheap. And, you know, in terms of savings, like we always try to stay under $8 a meal for two people. Otherwise, we wouldn't sign up for that meal kit. I think we're closer to maybe $5 a meal for two. So 175 meals times $5 is $875 total to feed two people dinner for half the year, which when I look at it that way, just totally blows my mind. Because back in the day when we were both working before fire, there were months where we would easily spend more than $875 eating out in one month. But now that covers dinner for six months. But yeah, once you factor that in, it's like $32,000 of cash from churning, plus a million points, plus food for six months of the year. I'm definitely pretty happy with that. And for those of you who are like listening to this and are thinking, well, I'm just a single player, you know, I don't have a spouse, I don't have a P2. How feasible is this for me to do? How much money would I make? Is it even worth doing if it's just me? I also calculated that because thankfully I could pivot table everything and I'll have these tables again up on the site. But yeah, if we look at just P1, so just me without a P2, I got $20,490 in cash from churning plus 288,000 points. So two thirds of the cash churns actually just came from me. But the weird thing is two thirds of the point churns actually came from my P2. The reason that happened was sort of more of a, a choice. Like I chose to open the Southwest cards for P2 so that P2 would have the companion pass. You can totally just open that card for yourself instead. And then also chose to open the Morgan Stanley card for P2 instead of myself. And without those, if we just shifted those over to P1, it would have been more like a 50-50 split when it comes to points, which makes sense, right? Because with one player, you're essentially opening half as many credit cards. So I think if we shift some of those things over in one player mode, we would have gotten more like 20,000 in cash and 500,000 points by myself, which I still would have been really happy with that. But of course, having a P2 did help boost things up. Another question that sometimes comes up is like, hey, you have a podcast, you must get a ton of referrals. You know, I, I don't have a podcast. So can I expect to churn this amount without these referrals? Is it worth doing if I can't get a lot of referrals? First off, just thank you everyone who's been supporting the show by using these referral links. Like it really does help a lot. And I've been pretty open, I think, about just how many referrals I get. Like I publicly track every referral that I get and I share them on the recap. And, you know, I definitely believe in, in transparency when it comes to that stuff. And there's a table I actually compiled that's in the show notes as well, where you can kind of see the breakdown and out of the $32,000, $7,000 of that were from referrals across banks and brokerages and cell phones and credit cards. And out of the million points, 140,000 points were also from referrals. But one caveat with those numbers is that it does include my P2 and I referring each other back and forth. And I think the majority of those 140,000 points were actually just us two referring inks to each other, which is really one of the, the great benefits of having a P2, then I think out of the 7,000, a, a good chunk of that also does just come from me posting my referral link on DOC, which anyone can do. You know, I think some folks like Gadget on DOC, they're really helpful in the DOC comments when it comes to bank bonuses. 
And so he'll also post his referral link and people use this referral link. And, you know, anyone can do that, right? You don't need to have a podcast to do that. But it does take some time for you to be helpful versus just like spamming your referral link on DOC. So I think once you factor in like the P1, P2 referrals and the DOC referrals, the 7,000 is probably more like three to 4,000. That's directly due to the podcast, which is still pretty awesome, right? I'm still very happy and grateful for those extra bonuses. But in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not that much. It's like 10% of the earnings came from referrals. So I think if you were to try and go it alone with just yourself and P2, you could still very easily get $28,000 just from your own efforts without having to spin up a podcast. So I think the, the real TLDR, though, is that single churners probably have it the hardest. Like having a P2 makes a way bigger difference than even things like having a podcast or having referrals. So if you're somehow able to convince or drag your spouse into the game or start dating another churner, I mean, I think that is the ideal scenario when it comes to making money from churning that or starting a churning podcast. But I think that's actually a pretty good segue into the final piece, which is just, you know, how is the show doing like a roundup of the podcast itself? I know some folks are interested in, in some of the data and the stats and for those of you that are new to the show and didn't get a chance to listen to the recap from last year, the, the quick kind of catch up is that this show, I started back in June of 2021, just because my wife and I had recently fired. And so I had more time to pursue hobbies like starting a podcast. And my sort of rough philosophy for starting it was really just like, hey, it'd be nice to have a podcast on while I was churning. So just something in the background to listen to, preferably about churning while I was churning. And so that was the idea that I had in mind. And, you know, part of my philosophy with how I share these things when it comes to churning is to make as much of it public and accessible as possible, because I know it can be a pretty tough hobby sometimes to break into, particularly some of the communities where things are kept more obfuscated on purpose, because it is kind of a delicate balance between spoon feeding people where a lot of these deals get overused and die off quickly versus keeping things a little more hidden and making people work for it a little bit more. I think luckily this podcast seems to actually be a pretty good platform for it because everything is in audio format. So there's naturally that kind of a barrier. Like you can't really Google the contents of this podcast. But for that same reason, no Googling also means that growth for the show is actually a lot slower because, you know, for example, if you take sites like Doctor of Credit, where most of the readers come in through search engines like Google, like I think Doctor of Credit and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, DOC, if, uh, if you guys are listening to this, but I think you guys get upwards of 100,000 visitors a month just from like organic search engine traffic, right? And that means then that you can do things like run ads on your site, which helps you generate revenue to keep things going. For podcasts, though, like mine, The Daily Churn, the site is sort of secondary to the audio stuff, right? So the website, I think, gets maybe like 2,000 visitors a month, just a tiny fraction of what blogs get. And that's expected because the content is in audio format, not in text on the site. Although actually, since I added that live churn tracker that shows all the things that I'm churning in real time onto the site, that's actually helped bring more people to the site, which I think is a good thing because then people help each other in comments and all that good stuff. So I think that 
churn tracker was a good addition from that perspective. But ultimately, from like a podcast standpoint, unless you're Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan, you're not really going to make money from doing a podcast unless you're already famous. So podcasts generally, though, outside of being a celebrity, are notoriously hard to grow. Like most people find this show through word of mouth. I genuinely appreciate it when people tell their friends about this show because that's where most people come to the show from and that's where most of the growth comes from. I think there's also like a handful of people that have found the show just from Apple or Spotify recommending the show to them. So that's where sometimes I try and encourage people if they enjoy the show to like leave a rating or review on Apple or Spotify, because I think that helps tell the algorithm gods to recommend this show to other people after they're done listening to a similar show. Because I know some folks found the show from listening to All the Hacks or Risk of Ruin or GeoBreeze Travel, like all excellent podcasts, by the way, which are on my regular rotation. You should definitely check those out. But yeah, between word of mouth and people rating the show and Spotify recommending, that's pretty much the only way you get new listeners. But the TLDR, and I often get questions about this, is that the show does not make any money directly. You know, there's not even like sponsored ads on this show because it's a churning podcast. So I can't really fathom who would want to sponsor an ad about us churning their account that they're promoting. So that avenue, which I think is how most podcasts make money, is by, you know, shilling Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens would never want to go on the show because I would just tell them how you can churn Athletic Greens, which is also actually possible. But that's a topic for a different episode. But this is probably why there are no other churning focused podcasts that I'm aware of. Like, I think this may be the only one. But on my end, luckily, thanks to the fact that my wife and I are doing the fire thing, I have free time and I can just do this for fun. And of course, getting referrals from folks sometimes is also very much appreciated and very nice and always a good surprise. But ultimately, for me, the one of the big motivators for doing the show is that I do very much believe that churning is a viable way to help achieve or sustain fire, financial independence, retire early. Like churning fire, I think, is at least as viable as barista fire which is where you fire, but you're still working like a low effort job like Starbucks, which I don't even know if that's true anymore because Starbucks baristas look very overworked every time I go to a Starbucks. But that's sort of the general concept. And yeah, maybe in 2023, I'll try and do some more churning fire focused content. Despite having more free time to do things like the show, I one of the things that I do very much try to do is kind of maintain more of a balance. And I, I kind of mentioned this in that Risk of Ruin interview that I did uh, about a year ago, where it's really like a constant struggle not to turn churning or this podcast into a full-time job because I'm wired to go all in on things. So it can be very easy to get sucked in because there's always things to be churned. So you can easily spend 40 hours a week doing that. and. I have to constantly resist the urge to like push out a new episode every week and do a bunch of marketing or growth stuff to try and get more listeners and all of that because my business brain is screaming at me all the time for all the opportunities that I'm missing and all the things that I could be doing. But honestly, it's taken me a long time to learn this, but the quickest way to kill the joy in something is to turn it into a real business. Like I've 
chased money before. And as cliche as it sounds, money does not, in the end, buy happiness. It's why we did the fire thing instead of staying at our startups and our tech jobs. And I actively have to try not to turn the podcast into that kind of a thing. So all of that to say that the stats that I'm about to share are just fun facts. You know, they're fun stats. We're not going super hard on this thing. And the goal isn't to turn this into the next four hour churn week. So starting with just plays, since the podcast was launched in June 2021, there have been 80,000 plays so far total over 18 months. And so each episode gets on average about 2000 plays. Subscribers, there are 1,500 from what I could count across Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I think it might be closer to maybe 2,000 if you count all of the various smaller platforms that people use to listen to shows that aren't Apple, Spotify, and Google. But yeah, roughly 1,500 to 2,000. Then on the newsletter, which is something I host myself on the website, there's 953 subscribers as of me recording this episode in early January. So yeah, it has grown quite a bit from where it was when I did the last end of year recap for 2021, because I think back then there were maybe 100 subscribers on the newsletter and maybe a few hundred followers total across the various podcasting platforms. So really happy with how things are going, especially considering I don't really do any marketing for the show because I, I don't enjoy doing marketing. The way I kind of look at the numbers is the same way I looked at it last year, which is, you know, just imagine you're in your town and you put up a poster that you're going to do a conference or something, right, about churning. If 100 people show up to your talk about it, I think you'd be pretty stoked. And so I was pretty stoked back then a year ago, and I'm still very pleased and surprised that 2000 people are now coming to these talks and are finding enough value in them that they come back for every episode. And the funny thing actually with these stats is that apparently this show, The Daily Churn, is in the top 2 to 3% of podcasts worldwide. So I thought that number was like wrong or at least very surprising. But the way it kind of pans out is that if you have a thousand plays per episode, you're basically in the top 5% of podcasts. If you have 3000 or more plays per episode, you're in the top 1% of podcasts. And the reason for it is that there are just a lot of graveyard shows. Like the majority of the shows out there don't have very many listeners, don't have very many episodes and just kind of died off, you know, after a few episodes they are like, no one's really listening to this. So now it's in like the podcast graveyard. And those numbers are why you only need a couple thousand plays per episode to be in the top two to 3%. So the TLDR really with podcasts, if that's something that you want to pursue, is that, hey, just stick with it. And you'll probably hit the top 5% eventually. Most people don't stick with it. Most people give up after a few episodes. So on that note, I thought I'd end it with uh, a bit of a game, a pop quiz, which is what do you guys think are the three most listened episodes of the show? And I'll give you a second to kind of mull it over. So there's been 39 episodes so far, 80,000 plays. Each episode gets about 2,000 plays on average. Yeah, what are the top three? Take a guess. My hint is that it's actually a little surprising which one is the top one. All right, so the top episode that's been streamed 6,800 times, so three to four times as much as the average episode, 
is the episode on ANA First and business. It's surprising because this is mostly a churning podcast. I do cover some award travel stuff, but the ANA one is definitely very heavy on award travel bookings. And I think part of why it's popular is because it's sharing some hacks for booking ANA that no one has ever talked about before online. And so usually when you <laughs> reveal information like that, it gets some popularity. And I think maybe some blogs or people have talked about it elsewhere or linked to it. The second most popular episode is actually the February recap for some reason with 3,200 plays. No idea why. And then the third most is tied between the employer dark deposit episode, which makes sense because as churners, you've got to have good employer dark deposit options. And it's tied with the Morgan Stanley episode at 2,900 plays total. But the Morgan Stanley episode just came out a month ago. So the employer DD one came out back in July, I think. So the Morgan Stanley one is probably the winner here, the, the rising star of the episodes. And again, similar to the ANA one, I think it's because it shares some techniques that are completely new and you can't really get elsewhere. But it definitely helps too when other blogs link to the episodes because I think the ANA first one and the Morgan Stanley one were mentioned in the milesernandburn.com blog, which I think helped spread the word a little bit. And there's not that many churning blogs besides DOC. So if you're looking for another one, Miles Ernenburn, I think is a pretty good one to add. Then similarly, the same episodes kind of show up as the most commented episodes too. Like the Morgan Stanley one actually takes the prize here as the one with the most comments because I think there's a lot of people just sharing data points and asking questions because it is kind of a, a complex process. And then number two is the ANA first in business for similar reasons. Like a lot of people had questions about how do I go about booking my specific award itinerary? And uh, number three were September and October recaps. And I think those had a lot of comments because folks were requesting and sharing the codes for the free milk it boxes. So it's been really nice to see that the show is finally at a, a big enough size now where there's a bit of a community forming and people are helping each other out in the comments and stuff like that. So yeah, I'd be pretty happy, honestly, if it just stayed this size because too much growth might actually cause issues in the future where deals are kind of getting killed, which is sort of what happened with the, um, the churning subreddit. So anyways, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But overall, it's been a good year and I'm excited to do it again for 2023. And yeah, that's it for this mega recap episode. We'll be back in February for the start of season three and the first January recap of 2023. The episode might be a little bit delayed just because I'm going to Japan with some friends after uh, a three year hiatus due to COVID. They like finally reopened and we were able to book our first class ANA tickets for the entire group that I've been rescheduling for literally three years now. And so pretty excited for that, but also mildly nervous because the last time I was in Japan in 2020, right before COVID, I ended up spending four days in jail there, which you can find that story in, I think, the, the Hyatt Globalist episode. But yeah, I'm not sure how much trouble they'll give me at passport control because Japan is pretty strict about the the criminal record thing, but we shall see. Hopefully I'm able to enter and return in time for the February episode. But otherwise, hope everyone had a great New Year's. And if you want to get notified when that episode comes out, be sure to join the newsletter at thedailychurnpodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.